Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. This week's holiday replay episode is my interview with Erin Trelore. Erin is an accomplished health, wellness, and life coach, meditation teacher, and the inspiring host of the Raw Beauty Talks podcast. In this episode, Erin recounts her personal struggle with an eating disorder, the impact it had on her and her family, and her recovery journey, including her experience being in an inpatient treatment program. She opens up about her transformative experience working with a life coach and how it led her to becoming a life and wellness coach herself. Erin also shares how Raw Beauty Talks came to be and her experience partnering with various experts to create the transformative Raw Beauty Reset program. Erin is such an absolute light and we cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I have to say, I was listening with headphones on super speed to your first two podcast interviews this morning. And I am still coming down from listening to those. Like I've got my blanket (laughs) on. I'm holy smoke. When you hear what you went through, it it, it brings up so much. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. And you're so freaking strong. The fact that you're sitting here and you know, a mom and have just moved to a new place, fully creating your life, a business owner, you are so resilient and so inspiring. Thank you so much. Honestly, that means so much coming from you. And honestly, like after actually right before those episodes aired, like before I felt like so empowered, this is what I have to do. Like I've wanted to tell my story. It's been sitting there for so long. And the day before I was like, what the F am I doing? I have huge, huge vulnerability hangover. And I was just like, I wanted to put stops on everything, but like the feedback has been so great. And the people that have reached out to me saying like, thank you so much. That's when I knew I was on the right path. I was like, okay, this is exactly what I needed to do. Like that feedback is invaluable. The vulnerability piece is terrifying. I mean, oh. having to recount everything that you did in those opening episodes in and of itself requires a lot of strength. But then to place your open heart, your open soul, your story in a space where there's always going to be a risk for judgment, you know, the stuff that you were dealing with, it's really scary. And there's a lot of physical trauma as well. So the fact that that these people are still out there, like this is very brave on so many levels. And I'm so glad that you're hearing beautiful, warm support because that's all that you deserve. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that means so much to me. That's why I honestly wanted to have this conversation with you because watching what you're doing in this space for women in particular and girls, Erin, I'm so excited for this. Like I followed you for so long. I was saying earlier when we were talking, I actually ran into you at a Canucks game last year and I was, we saw each other and I was like, I know her, (laughs) I know her, but I was, I saw you and I was like, my husband's like, go talk to her because I talk about you all the time. I listen to your podcast and I've had so much perspective and strength from what you've shared as well. And I'm so excited for this conversation. Well, I am honored to hear you say that because I was having to stand in front of the mirror and do some deep breathing after hearing your story. Like, what do I have to share? My life feels so, you know, what I went through, it feels so small compared to what you went through. But the reality is, is that we all have experienced 
big T or little T trauma yeah. in your life in some way, shape or form that has an impact and an imprint on our nervous system, which shifts our beliefs, which ultimately shifts the way that we think, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we speak to ourselves. And then at the end of the day, those really impact the actions that we take in the world. And so regardless as to what your story is and how traumatic it has or has not been, we all have the opportunity to do some self reflection and have these conversations and learn more about ourselves and really take ownership over our lives. Oh, totally. And I love that you said that because I also felt as my story was coming out, it wasn't that bad. People are going to think I'm whining, but that's why I'm so excited to have conversations with people across. I'm so excited to have a seat at this table, to have these conversations because if I just want people to feel seen and heard and alive and feel like they have a fighting chance, right? Well, pull up a chair and let's let's do it. Talk. So before we get into this episode, actually, I love to ask my guests um, that I'm talking with what their favorite mantra or affirmation or just like something that they're doing to help in their healing or their everyday life. And I feel like we can all, I love hearing what people are doing. I love sharing and I love hearing so I can learn more, but I would love to know what you do. Entrepreneur, mom, wife, friend. What do you do, Erin? What do you do every day? The very first thing I say to myself every morning when I wake up is today is going to be a great day. And this is something that sounds so simple. It's an affirmation that I learned from Dr. Amen, who came on to my podcast. And he's a brain doctor who's worked with a lot of people, the beeves, all of the things. And when I interviewed him, I was really in it with my mental health and with my anxiety and just in one of those dark spaces. And that reminder from him on the show that just starting your day with something that is a positive. Um, and for some reason that that phrase, today is going to be a great day. There's something empowering about it. Like I'm going to make it a great day. Whatever comes my way, good or bad, I'm going to use it for my own growth and healing um, that I am right where I'm meant to be. For me, it just encompasses a lot of things. And so I still take this day. Today is going to be a great day. And then I try to do two or three gratitudes And sometimes it's just like that I have this warm, beautiful duvet, that I have this amazing man by my side, that I, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, I freaking love my highlighter that I just got. (laughs) It doesn't have to be deep and intense. Yes, that's amazing. I love that you said that because um, as I was thinking about mine yesterday, I the same thing I do every single morning before I reach for my phone, the second I open my eyes and I say to myself, I am so grateful for this life because I am like, and it's really over the last year of what I've been changing and going through, that has been something I've trained myself to do. And it's changed my life. Like you said, so simple, seems so like teeny tiny, but it's changed my life. It's always the small things. We think always. we have to do these big macro things like start going to the gym seven days a week and meditate mm-hmm. 30 minutes a day. But really when we are able to tap into true health and wellness, I think it all comes down to the little tiny things and we don't even have to do all of them at the same time. That feels way too overwhelming. So today is going to be a great day. What was yours? Um, I am so grateful for this life. I'm so grateful for this life. Write those two things down. See which one resonates the most with you as you're listening to this and just try it on. See if it feels like a fit for you. Totally. And I love my new highlighter. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Also, I just realized that I went into hosting mode and started talking to you. Oh, I love it. No, let's do it. (laughs) So that's what I do on my show is I'm having a conversation with the guest and my audience. So if you hear me talking to you, I I really am. I feel like you, that whoever's listening right now is in the room with us. Oh God, I love this because you were the trailblazer for this for me in the health and mental health world. And I just love this. This is great. Yeah. Put on your hosting hat, Erin. Let's, let's tag team this. So I just want everyone to kind of get to know you a little bit. If you, if they don't follow you on social media or listen to your podcast, everybody go and do that because it's a must do. It is so inspirational. It is so just like, just a beauty in the corner of the internet that we all need. And I just want everyone to get to know you. So tell me a bit about yourself. What were you doing before you launched Raw Beauty? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, whew, where do where do we begin on these? I So I was 15, 16 years old, and I was doing a lot of dance, and I was a perfectionist. Um, I now understand that for whatever reason, I took on a lot of responsibility for my parents' happiness from a really young age. And unlike you, my story was like, I had a pretty typical healthy family unit. My parents are amazing, but I was very highly sensitive. They owned a business together and there was a lot of conversation around finances in the house. I felt a lot of stress around that, whether or not it was realistic to feel stress or not. It felt really stressful to me. And I always felt the scarcity around finances. Um, if my parents were getting in an argument or fighting or disagreeing about something, I would put on my fix it hat and would feel like I needed to be the mediator in the family. Um, I also figured out at a really young age that they appreciated it when I got good grades and when we worked really hard none of these things are wrong that they were doing as parents. It's just how we relate to different people. And especially as highly sensitive person, I was picking up and attuned to so many different things. Yeah. In therapy, we've peeled back layers and stuff. My mom dealt with a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression after having her third daughter. And so I formed a really close relationship with my dad, but um, I don't actually remember a lot of time with her when I was younger, even though she was very much there, she was dealing with that and and two young kids and a business and all of these things. And so I now understand that I had a lot of anxiety. And one of the ways that I coped with that anxiety was to start really focusing on my body and the way that I looked. And so I would pick apart, you know, everything about myself. And I was obsessed with magazines at the time and these like glossy images of models. And so I would compare myself to them. I knew what they were eating. I knew what they weighed. You could find all of this stuff in various. Oh, yeah. I'm just like recounting my teen years and I did the same thing, right? right? And I remember having tape measures and measuring around my thighs and measuring around my waist and measuring my arms and comparing it to these girls and and what they were doing. Because in my mind, they had everything, right? Like they had money, they were popular, they had cute guys, they got to travel, amazing style. And so put the pieces together. It's like, you've got to look like that in order to have that life. And so I began to diet and at the time, fat was really demonized in media and health and wellness. So I cut out all fats. And then it was like cutting out the carbs and then counting the calories. And I would only eat the number of calories that I was reading that those girls would eat. Um, And what 
began really as just wanting to lose a little bit of weight off of my hips really quickly spiraled into a full-blown eating disorder. Right. And so I, at my lowest point was 5'11 and 89 pounds and had lost my period, had gone from straight A student to having to drop out of many classes Mm -hmm. to quit dance. Um, And I knew that something was wrong, but eating disorders are so insidious and they take over that I could not stop resisting eating, hiding food, uh, all of the behaviors that come along with right. an eating disorder. So I was lucky enough to go into the, to a hospital program. I spent three months at BC Women and Children's Hospital. And you basically live there. Your meals are set. You do therapy and inpatient treatment program. It was terrifying and awful going into that. Like, I can't even tell you how scary that felt. I mean, I can tell you because you've had many iterations of this and being in a space that doesn't feel like home, being in a space that doesn't feel familiar with people that you don't necessarily relate to. You're like, this is Mm -hmm. me. This this isn't supposed to be my life. Well, and I imagine too, Erin, like walking into something like that, where every part of your life is now going to be controlled and you probably felt so much shame around it because of the stigma around eating disorders. Like, so you're being removed from home, you're feeling shame around people that you don't understand. You don't feel like you fit. You're losing control. Like, I just can't imagine what that did to you. It was a lot to say the least. I, I I mean, I was fully refusing to go and it wasn't until my dad actually broke down and was like, we need you to get help. He'd been in denial a lot, which now working with girls and women, I'm seeing a real pattern where the dads are having a hard time accepting what's going on. And they're like, muscle your way through it or just eat or yeah. just like, why just love yourself or don't be so dramatic. He, he never said that last thing, but I hear this around parents uh, and in particular dads a lot in my coaching practice. So it wasn't until he was really in a space where he was like, I need you to go get help. And I had this great connection with him that I was like, fine, I'll go in for one week. That's it. But even that one week period of time was enough for that voice in my head that was constantly counting and had taken over so much control to begin to soften and, and to quiet. And so I continued on there. I got back up to a healthy weight. I was feeling so much better. Um, and I, I got out, finished grade 12. And I was much healthier. I didn't have the eating disorder in the same way. And it it didn't have as much power over me, but my eating habits were still very disordered, like still tracking my food, trying to eat clean or healthy. And then I would find myself binging at night in secret and eating everything I could get my hands on, which is actually something that a lot of women struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll raise my hand. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really think that so many of us deal with it, more of us that want to admit it. Absolutely. I mean, 70% of women struggle with Mm -hmm. disordered eating and I would guess, and then an additional 10% who have have had a diagnosed eating disorder. So 80% of women have struggled with disordered eating or an eating disorder at some point in their life. And because of media and diet culture, our relationship to food is now so disjointed that it's very, very common for women to be restricting in some capacity. And that could just be like, oh, I'm not eating this, or I'm only eating quote unquote clean foods right now. Our bodies are designed to protect us against famine though. Like 
the, the body is designed, it needs sleep, it needs water, and it needs food. When you begin to take food away, even if it's like cutting out certain food groups, the mind becomes hyper-focused on getting that food. We say the most addictive type of food is the food you've told yourself you cannot have. I so believe that. Yeah, that makes so much sense, right? So I didn't understand that now that the eating disorder had been healed to some capacity that my body was going to resist me ever going back to that space and restricting again. And so I would binge, I would drive through multiple fast food places so that the person wouldn't see me coming in more than once. Um, I would try to make myself purge, but I never could. So then I would take diuretics, like half of a bottle of it, just to try and get everything out. Because after doing that, you feel so, so disgusting. You feel so much shame. I mean, I would be like sweaty because you've abused your body by putting so much food into it. And in that state though, in that binge state, it was almost like I would be blacking out a bit. And for a moment, I couldn't feel anything again. You just disassociated. You just completely. completely, uh, Which feels peaceful for a moment in time. And it becomes a bit addictive. Now there's different forms of binging, right? Like there's that kind of binging where it's quite severe and you're dissociating and, um, but, but binging is binging. There's still a lot of, uh, people out there who are getting to that point where they feel like they can't stop eating. They know they're not hungry, but they're just eating for emotional reasons. Yeah. And it feels a, a bit out of control or like an out of body experience to some extent. Totally. The, when you're saying that, like the first thing that comes to my mind is I have always identified myself as an emotional eater, right? Like I, that is the first thing I go to when I'm upset. So emotional eating is normal. Yeah. And this is where, you know, when it comes to food, often we want to categorize things in this black and white boxes of you can eat this, you shouldn't eat this, this is good, this is bad. And where people get so overwhelmed is that everybody has a different opinion of the way that we should be eating. But one thing I can say for sure is that some emotional eating is absolutely normal. You're going to go to a birthday and there's going to be cake and maybe you're not that hungry, but you have a piece of cake. This isn't binge eating or wrong, but if we're always only eating based on emotional cues versus being able to hear when we are hungry and full, then it's going to feel out of alignment because we're not working with our body. We're working based on, or we're eating based on our emotions. I have so many thoughts on this actually, just because when I think back to who I was at like 15, 16, 17, I was the chubbier one of my friends. All my friends were like these beautiful, skinny, really tiny girls. And by the time I was 18, I had lost almost 40 pounds. And on my like five foot two frame, that's actually quite a bit of weight, right? And, but I did it in such a way that I wish I had known so much more, right? Like, exercising to a point where I just was sick, doing it twice a day, restricting what I was eating, counting calories, not eating bread, like all those things that we thought would, sure, it'll work. 
but I felt awful. My self-esteem was so low. I looked terrible because I wasn't getting what I needed in my body. And I look back thinking of my own daughter right now and talking about the messaging they're receiving, right? And these girls you saw in magazines, like it makes me think of, I think we had this conversation on social media, actually. I had posted something about my daughter seeing a magazine with Margot Robbie on the cover of it. And she was nine at the time. And she came to me crying and not wanting to eat because she didn't like the way her stomach looked. And it just like, like, why, you know, at that age? And it made me having a conversation with you think about we can't control the messaging that they're getting. And just like trying to create an environment where they can thrive in and feel good about their body. And so we talk a ton in our house. The F word in our house is fat. We do not say it. That is not a part of our vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And being as a dancer, which I also want to talk to you about how that affected you and your body image growing up, because it's a big deal for her, right? Like, and talking about fueling our body and what will help her, you know, foods that she can put in her body to be able to have strength and energy through the entire dance class or through the whole intensive and things that'll make you stronger. Like those are really loud conversations in our house. And I don't know that I'm doing it right, but I'm trying really hard to change from what I saw as a child. It sounds like you're doing a really beautiful job of that. And I think that so many of us in our generation of parents are parenting and so hyper aware of how these messages can impact our kids because we've all dealt with body image issues and low self-esteem based on the way that we look. So I'm so excited to see that there's so many parents who are actively engaging in conversation around these things and and talking to their kids. So one thing I want to note that I've learned along the way in the conversations that I've had with people of all different body types is that a driving force around diet culture and around our body image struggle is a deep fear of fat, a deep fear of fat. This idea that fat is bad, that fat is so unhealthy. Um, And that fear of fat creates an even greater stigma around people of different sizes and people in bigger bodies. Mm -hmm. So I remember saying in our family as well, like, oh my God, don't call her fat or don't, don't say that, that type of thing. And what I've learned in talking to incredible women like Jessamine Stanley is that fat isn't a bad thing that it, it that some people are going to have bigger bodies and some people are going to be fat it's it is the way that we relate to being fat and the way that we've labeled fat people as being lazy or unhygienic or not taking care of themselves we hold no empathy around the fact that people have different living conditions different access yeah. to food different genetics and some people will be fat so rather than maybe saying don't say fat or we don't talk about that. It's like exploring why why do we think that fat is so bad? Yeah. Why is this such an awful thing? Because if we can reduce some of the fear around having a different shaped body, then we can really get down to truly talking about using food as fuel and having a healthy relationship with movement. And it won't come from this place of trying to avoid being fat, but rather a place of loving our body, taking care of it, and trying to create the healthiest body that we can. Totally. I love that. From your experience as a teenager, what inspired you to start Raw Beauty Talks? Well, as I was going through treatment, I began to understand 
why media is the way that media is. And I started to understand advertising and why they sell mascara with CGI eyelashes that are pulled out to make this person look even better than they did before and why photoshopping is used in order to smooth pores and make people even thinner and how that impacts our buying decisions. And as soon as you start to see that stuff and understand that stuff, it's like cooking an egg. You can't go back. You can't no. unsee it, right? You can't take that egg back into the jelloy form that it used to be in. And so I would read magazines and something deep within me was like, I just wish there was a place where there were images that were beautiful, like these images, but that they weren't Photoshopping these people. So I yeah. can see what they really looked like. And so Raw Beauty Talks began as an interview series where we photographed women without makeup, photo editing, or filters. This was in 2014, where this wasn't really a topic of conversation yet. No. The inspiration I had was the Dove Beauty campaign that had just launched, and I thought it was incredible. Um, and so when we started sharing these images on the blog, it went viral and, um, and a lot of people were really feeling the same way. Like they wanted to see these images of women without photo editing or filters. And we did photograph them in, you know, really beautiful light in a studio space that felt special. And so it was healing not only for people seeing the pictures, but for the women who were stepping in front of the camera, oftentimes for the first time, and then asking them to show up without any makeup, without any of their armor in yeah. a t-shirt. It was, um, it was a healing experience for everyone who participated in it as well. Yeah. I imagine. I imagine it would be. And I remember when this actually came out because it was the, it had to have been right after I had my daughter when I was not feeling at my best. And we have a mutual friend. So that is why I knew who you were at the time. And I found it so empowering at the time because after I had my baby, I felt my absolute worst. I didn't recognize myself, didn't recognize my body. I had postpartum for so long and it was really, really difficult. And that was such a powerful movement. Like it stuck with me for years. It really changed me too on the inside. I mean, I showed up for my first shoot with tinted moisturizer on because I couldn't, I wasn't ready to go completely bare yet. I couldn't, yeah. I could not accept myself. Oh, it's, it's scary. It was. And, um, you know, we had some women who came and they had their fake eyelashes on and with every single person that came, we had a conversation as well about like, have you had having your lips done wasn't a thing at the time, but like, have you had Botox and what are your thoughts on that? And it wasn't about judging them or saying this is right or wrong, but you know, where did, at what point did you land on getting breast implants and what was your experience and having all of these conversations, it just, it, it makes you realize how human you all are. You can no longer judge anybody for their decisions because you just understand the plot line of what brought them there. I had grown up with a mom who never wore makeup. Like she just, she's, she's so beautiful and wanted to play tennis and run her business rather than focus on any of that stuff. Like she would yeah. pick us up in her tennis gear every day or her tracksuit from being a soccer coach. Love and it. So I had this idea in my mind that didn't actually align with me that makeup was kind of bad or superficial. 
And then talking to women who were putting on makeup and it was their form of creative expression and they loved it. It was like painting. I came to realize, okay, wait, no, makeup and stuff isn't bad. It's just if you feel like you have to have makeup on in order to accept yourself, then there's probably some deeper work that can be done. You know what? I love that you said that because I was somebody who always wore a lot of makeup, but it, and it wasn't because I loved makeup, but I, from all the stress my body was under, I developed cystic acne so bad. So the thought of leaving the house for any sort of reason without makeup was so terrifying. And I was really judged because I always wore makeup. I'd wear it to the gym. I'd wear it to wherever, but it was because I was covering something that I was so incredibly insecure about. So you're right. I love what you said about sitting down with people and hearing their stories on why, whether it's creative or whether it's just, you know, what the shield that they have to wear right now to get through their day. It, it's so important to realize to stop judging people. Like, right. I love that you said that. It's really important. And when we have a chance to sit at the table that we talked about at the beginning of this episode Mm -hmm. and really have these conversations, it just builds a level of understanding, compassion, and empathy that we will never be able to form by scrolling through Instagram or looking at somebody's image. We just, we have no idea what people's stories are. I mean, if I were to see you again at the hockey game, I would have had no idea of what you've lived through in your life and yeah. what your experiences. And yeah. so I'm just so, I'm so glad that, that podcasts are a thing right now so that we have access in a really deep way to hear more about people. Yeah. I love that. That's so true because you're right. You don't get that from, from scrolling. And I, this is the greatest, I said the other day on Instagram that this was like the greatest accomplishment of my life, like other than my child, obviously, but you know, to be able to sit down and have these conversations with people like you who I just, this is what fuels my soul. And I want people to hear it because when I think about trauma and those big T traumas and what that looked like for me to, if I would have had something like this, that I could have listened to and heard somebody speaking about their experience, what got them through, how they're doing now, instead of sitting down to read a book, because when you're in that midst of chaos, I I could not have the patience to sit still and sit down and read a book or B, retain what I was reading and then put it into action in my real life. Like, I just think there's so much power behind listening to someone speak about it and hearing, you know, the passion in their voice, like hearing you talk about this, it just like, it fuels your soul. It does. It really, really does. It's been, it started as a passion project. It's turned into my career and it will be my mom brain kicking in. It'll be my legacy project. Your legacy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it will be. And I, um, you know, when I had my kids, I had a really tough go as well. Um, just after Brooklyn, my second one with, with postpartum anxiety, but a really big discussion point was always like my husband knowing that I have anxiety was like, you really need to take the year and just focus on the baby and you. And I was like, over my dead body, I will not give up my work. This work is, it, it is an unhealthy attachment. I, I would reflect on, and I can see that, but at the same time, it has saved my life over and over again. And so, yes, I stepped back and I didn't do things in the same way, but I think it will always be a part of me. And some people won't understand that. And that's okay. Oh, I love that. I so feel you on that. So my question then is for 
to what Raw Beauty is now, what was your vision of it? What was your vision, what it would be in the beginning and how it's evolved to now? Mm. Well, I didn't know. I did not go into it thinking I'm going to be a health coach and I'm going to work with women who are struggling with their relationship with food and body and anxiety and have this Mm -hmm. exact image of what it was going to be. I did create a vision board when I was about 25 and everything on that vision board has come to fruition. It is actually, it actually blows my mind, but the vision board wasn't super specific around what I was doing. It had an office and it had words like mompreneur doing good. Uh, I had images of women who I admired. I had pictures of the world and traveling. I had the body of a man in a suit. He's drinking a coffee and a family, a mom doing yoga with her daughter on her back. I had uh, writing prompt sort of thing in one area. I have like love is the greatest of all. I, at the time when I made this vision board, I was single, uh, broke, working at Cactus Club, spending all of my money on uh, ridiculous. Aritzia. Aritzia <laughs> and the Roxy, <laughs> which I did not need to be doing. Um, I was, yeah, I was very anxious. I was still struggling with this binge eating. I did not love and accept myself at that time at all. And so it's really cool to see now, 12 years later, what has transpired. So I I started with the interview series. And after two or three years of having conversations with women and realizing there are so many people who are feeling stuck in their body, who are held back by limiting beliefs about themselves, who are uh, living with a relationship with food that's taking up a lot of real estate in their mind, a lot of, of real estate in the, in the mind that is holding them back from actually being able to do the things that bring true love and acceptance and peace. I got to do something about this. And so I thought about being a therapist, just it wasn't quite resonating. And I heard about health coaching and thought, how cool would it be to, and how full circle would it be? to really talk about health and wellness from a much more holistic standpoint, one that is taking women deeper into their body, doing the healing work, teaching them how to eat intuitively, practice mindfulness with food and within their life, and look at all aspects of their life from their creativity to their relationships, their spirituality, the time that they're spending in nature. Um, And I think when we look at wellness from that perspective, that's when things get really interesting. It's not as simple as calories in and calories out. It's not as simple as just going to the gym and pushing yourself through it. I mean, so that's the form of wellness that ultimately landed me in an eating disorder. And now I get to work with women, supporting them one-on-one or through my group coaching programs in a much deeper form of health and wellness that extends and touches every area of their life. Oh, I love that. And I know that before you became a life coach, you actually had an extremely beneficial experience on your own working with one. Can you tell us about that? I did. So around that same age that I made the vision board, I started working with a life coach. I had no idea what a life coach was. Like nobody worked with a life coach at that time. But I met this girl at a party and she was like, oh, like I'll do a first free consultation for you and you can get a feel for it and see if it's something that would interest you. And so I did the first session with her and absolutely loved it. I think what really resonated with coaching is that it's a lot about 
designing your future and really creating your life. So picking where it is that you want to go. And then a coach will help get you from point A to point B. A good coach will help support you, hold you accountable, look at your blocks, your limiting beliefs or things that are coming up in your life that are preventing you from getting there. And they'll work with you to move you from point A to point B. Therapy, on the other hand, which I also am a huge advocate for and absolutely believe in coaches and therapists can work well together. They spend a lot of time in the past and looking at how your past has influenced your present. And I'd done a lot of therapy and I was like, okay, like we've looked, we've EMDR, we've CBT, we've done all of that. And I was really ready to start taking the steps forward. And that's what coaching provided for me. That's amazing. And so um, I'm so curious what the process in education was like to get to this point where you became a coach. I did my uh, health coaching certification through the Health Coach Institute. It was a one-year program. You become a health coach and a life coach. And you do a combination of online learning modules, weekly sessions, and then you have about a six-month period of time where you're taking people through your program and you're mentored as you go through that. Uh, After leaving the program, I had some really good, strong fundamentals for wellness coaching. But then I think where it really took off was when I partnered with an intuitive eating dietitian and a body image psychologist and worked with them on creating the program that is now the Raw Beauty Reset. And so integrating their wealth of knowledge, the evidence-based practices with my health coaching certification and bringing that out, it really created something new. I mean, that collaboration component is so important. And for me, knowing how insidious eating disorders, disordered eating, body image is, it was really important to always ensure that people were getting the best information that they could. Yeah, I love that. And I want to talk to you more about these programs because I've done the um, the Raw Beauty Reset and I loved it. It was amazing. And just the way that you connect with the people that are in these groups, because it's not just like you throw out this information and you're like, here, like handle it. You have weekly calls and you have check-ins. Can you tell us about these programs? Because I think that they are light years beyond what we have. Like this is just so important. And I think that so many women can just benefit from this in such a huge way. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I've had over a thousand people go through the program right now. We've been running it for, I say mm-hmm. we, but it's me. Um, I have been running it. I, I like to almost talk as if I have my big team. That's for Yeah, I do that too with my store. I do it too. I'm just- like, we are so excited you're here. No, it's just me. <laughs> It's just me back here. Um, Of course, I have some helpers that are popping in and out. But I've been running the program for four years now. And I usually do three of them each year. It's an eight-week program that combines online learning modules with the live weekly coaching call. And that's done over Zoom. So you can join from anywhere in North America. I mean, we've had people from all over the world joining in. And we start off by learning how to eat intuitively, having a lot of conversations about diet culture and, uh, you know, how we got to the place that we're in. The people who are doing the program, for the most part, are all struggling at some level with disordered eating patterns, limiting beliefs about themselves, their body image is holding them back, and they're just sick and tired of being in that space. So we start off with the intuitive eating, then we reframe our relationship with movement, and then we dive into the deeper stuff. So the beliefs that we hold, where those were 
planted. And of course, within all of this is a lot of body work because I truly believe we can intellectually know a lot of things, but it's not until we can start feeling it in our body that true healing begins. So for sure. I love that. So my question then, because I know that there's probably so many women who are listening who are saying, well, it's not that bad for me. So I don't think this is for me, but what from going through it, this is for everybody right? Well, that's the thing is it really is a program that would benefit anybody. And especially if you are a mom, I feel like (sighs) who that was the next thing I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Who really wants to instill a positive body image and a positive relationship with food into your children. There's just so many mixed messages and it can feel so overwhelming knowing where to even begin with this. And the starting point is always with yourself, doing the healing work yourself, understanding yourself and your body, learning to eat intuitively yourself. And then uh, you can always tell your children this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, it's what you're modeling for them that really matters. They're watching. They're watching. I think we are disillusioned to believe that it's just normal to kind of have a slightly wonky relationship with food or to always feel just not quite good enough. We are at a time, and this may sound dramatic, but we are at a time on planet earth where we need women more than ever to be standing in their power as strong and healthy as can possibly be. If we are going to turn things around in so many different areas, whether we're talking about climate change, whether we're talking about political change, whether we're talking about gun reform, whether we're talking about sexual assault, we have to have strong women and women who are distracted and stuck in limiting beliefs and stuck feeling shitty about themselves and their body or, or constantly thinking about what's that next meal going to be and feeling guilty about what they ate. It is, it is dimming our light. It is distracting us. And it, we've, got it. Nobody else is coming to save us. No, nobody else is coming to save us. So we've got to step up to the plate and do this work ourselves. And yeah, you may wonder what am I going to really do? Okay. If I'm, I feel a bit more ease around food in my body, what difference can that make? And it makes all the difference in the world. Don't fool yourself. You are important. You are powerful. You are stronger than you even know. And Mm -hmm. when you heal your relationship with food and your body, you can get down to really living in your purpose into really doing what you are meant to do here, whether that's running a clothing shop or working in a hospital as a nurse or being a teacher or being an incredible mom. Trust me when I say that you being in your power, you living a life that feels good for you, it matters. Oh, it totally matters. And you know what? These are actually, I wanted to mention back to the the groups, you have a Facebook group um, that comes along with this program. And these are the kind of conversations that are being had in these Facebook groups. And to read them is really powerful because these women are supporting each other. These women are cheering each other on. These women are asking vulnerable questions and you are giving answers. And it is just, it's really lovely to see. It's so important. Thank you, Jessalyn. I appreciate yeah. that so much. I will make sure that you have the link to the programs. And then I also just want to do a free guide. Uh, it's called 55 ways to feel better in your body. And it's a PDF. I'll make sure that you have the link to that as well. And that's totally free for anybody who's just wanting to take some of those little steps that we talked about at the beginning to feel better in your body. Yeah, I love that. You know, I'm curious too, just as a mom and you have a boy and a girl and eating disorders don't discriminate 
with gender. And what is some advice you would have for moms like me and ones who are listening that we can empower our kids and lead them down a path where they don't, you know, get stuck in that cycle of disordered eating and terrible body image? What is your Erin Trelor advice? Tell us. Number one, hands down, is to do the work yourself. Yeah. To really step into whatever healing path feels right for you. For some people that's listening to podcasts, for some people it's therapy, for some people it's coaching or programs. So whatever resonates with you, step into it, invest in yourself, time, energy, whatever it is to heal that relationship. The second thing is speak kindly about your body. You know, sometimes that inner voice comes out and we say it out loud and we talk about, Oh, I I feel fat in this, or I don't look good in this, or we take 700 photos of ourselves. Our kids are watching everything that we do and picking up on it. And so just really being mindful about how you speak about yourself in front of those kiddos. Yeah. You know, I love that because one thing I'm doing right now, I have really had a love-hate relationship with my body over the years from losing weight and then not liking how I looked after I had my baby and just comparing myself, the comparison, right? But one thing I'm doing that I've really, really been vigilant about the last few months is uncomfortably looking in the mirror because it's very hard sometimes to look at ourselves with no clothes on and appreciate what we see. It's hard. You pick yourself apart. And I'm really trying hard to just say, I love my body. It's kept me safe. It has gotten me through these really awful, scary things. And I don't hate my body. I hate the way I've treated it. I hate what I've done to my body, not my body. It's just what I've done to it. And I'm ready to do better. And I try and do that every day. And it's getting better. Like it's, it's a process, right? It's the mind body connection is a beautiful thing, but we're so, so mean to ourselves. And then when we try to change it, it's really uncomfortable and it takes time. And also for somebody like you, reflecting on your past and the experience you've had within your body of feeling unsafe, of sexual assault, all of these things. When our nervous system is dysregulated, especially as women, uh, the mind, the thinking mind really wants to find a reason. It really wants yeah. to focus on, you know, what is the cause of this so that we can figure out a path to feeling better. And so because of the messaging that we've received, women in particular, when our nervous system is dysregulated, have a tendency on focusing on the body. The body's wrong. It's my hips mm-hmm. that are wrong. It's that stomach area that is wrong. It's the fact If I could fix it, I'd be happy. Are. Exactly. And yet the reality is many of us have experienced weight loss or, you know, done something where we feel better and yeah, it feels good in the moment. And yes, Mm -hmm. like do some self-care or get some Botox if that makes you happy, whatever. But at the end of the day, we also have to do the work to support our nervous system and to support our wellness. So when you're having one of those difficult body image days, thinking about what else is going around and what's, what else is happening in my life right now? Have I had any time for self-care? Have I had the chance to move my body? Do I have kids talking to me all day and pulling at me? Do I need a moment to just reset? Oftentimes, if instead of continuing to pick apart and focus on the body, if instead we nourish and care for our nervous system, the body image thoughts will become quieter. And so we support the nervous system with time in nature, through breath work, by meditating, by reducing caffeine, by reducing alcohol, (laughs) by feeding ourselves consistently, 
take all the things that help us to feel safe. And when our nervous system is regulated, those body image thoughts are much quieter and much more easy to manage. Yeah. You know, and one thing that you just said was, you know, doing those things like limiting coffee and stuff. And I have to say, you have been very open about your journey with alcohol. And you have a year ago, maybe longer now, you you stopped drinking. And it's interesting because it's something I've thought about for so long. And watching you talk so openly about that journey, it it encouraged me to take a look at what I was doing because the alcohol anxiety the next day was something that was so hard for me to handle. And it was, I felt awful. I didn't like the way I looked after. I didn't like the way I felt. And it would go on for days. And watching your journey, I was like, yeah, I'm following your footsteps. I can't do it. And like six, six months ago, I was like, I'm done with it. I'll have an odd cocktail sometimes, but I don't like the way I feel. Now that I have it out of my life, I feel sick when I do have a glass of wine. Like it's just, I feel so much better and I don't need it to have fun. I find that like, you probably feel the same way. You're just such an empathetic person, but I, I pick up on other people's vibrations and what they're doing. So if I'm around people who are having, drinking three or four glasses of wine, there have been moments where I looked at my husband and he's like, did you also drink? And I'm like, no, but I just feel like I did because I'm like around everybody. They're having so much fun. So I just, I, I pick up on it. Did oh, I? Yeah. I don't know. I'm exactly the same way. And I can be, if I let myself go there, uh, I can be a, a goofy airhead yeah. when I'm with people that I'm comfortable with. And so when my close friends are drinking, they will often say, Aaron seems like the drunkest person here. <laughs> totally sober. And yes. so I don't know. It, obviously, there's many things that I go to where it's a gala event or something like that. And I'm more in my head if I'm not drinking, you know, yeah. it's not your people. So it can be challenging. Um, but so I actually, it was about two years ago that I stopped drinking and I was sober, completely sober for a year and a half. That was also when I was doing a lot of healing work around my anxiety and I'd been having panic attacks in the postpartum. And after that year and a half, I since then have had the odd glass of wine here or there. I mm-hmm. haven't even had a cocktail. Like there's something about hard alcohol that just feels like a no for me, but I have had a glass of wine here or there in the same way that you're saying it. So I always want to do the full disclosure that I'm no longer completely sober. Yeah. I did a podcast episode on this saying like it's yeah. soberish even yeah. because it is. the way I drink now is just so different from the way that I used to. It's like oh, a glass of white wine maybe once every two or three weeks versus a glass of wine or two glasses of wine four times a week. So it feels so different and so intentional when I do do it. And I'm not doing it for the buzz or the like... When you're nervous and going into a situation, right? Like I, that was always a thing was like, oh, I better have a drink because I'm really nervous. Yes, yes, exactly. So Mm -hmm. it just feels different. And I would say for anybody who's noticing that they have a lot of anxiety, you'll know, you'll be listening to this being like, I I wish I could do that. Or I, I, yeah, a part of me wants to do that. I would say, go for it. Set a timeline, like say for one month, I'm not going to drink and I'm going to see how I'm feeling at the end of that month. And then I might do another month after that. Just take it step by step. And um, I think we have this idea that in order 
for somebody to get sober, they have to have this insane problem and addiction with alcohol. I think at this point, there are a lot of people who are just saying, no, that's not my story. I'm not addicted to it. I never got smashed and sloppy and ended up in, in bad places but it's not impacting my mental health very well. I don't feel totally after I am more anxious. And what place does this have in my life? It doesn't feel. Mm-hmm. I'm curious too, for you to, ex- so anyone who's listening and they're kind of toying with the idea and they know that it doesn't feel good for them. How did this elevate your healing experience? Oh, I feel that it absolutely was fundamental in my healing. And I don't think I would be where I am right now. If I hadn't, in fact, that's the biggest question when I think about why am I having that one glass of wine now? Like I'm so clear on what my goals and intentions are. It doesn't really align. It doesn't align. It actually does nothing in supporting me and getting to where I want to be or feeling the way that I want to feel. So why am I doing it again? And it always comes down to that like fun factor and just being Mm -hmm. with a group of people and having a glass of wine feels nice. Um, I don't know. It's definitely an area where I'm still figuring things out. And my fear a little bit is now that I'm drinking coffee and having that glass of wine, um, the, if I go back to that space that I was in again, or something happens where my anxiety disorder, my OCD gets triggered in a major way, I know I will be very hard on myself for the choices that I'm making right now. So right. interesting. These are just layers of work that kind of continuously come up and questions yeah. to ask the balance of, do I go a bit easy on myself and let myself have a glass of wine now and then? Or do I need to have that strict line with myself. You know, I think the beauty of it too, is once you have had a taste of that, whether you go back and, you know, I've had a, the odd glass of wine too, and, you know, started with coffee again, like I said, but once you have crossed that line into that clarity and you know what it feels like when you slip back, you know, you don't stay as long. No. Right. The two, you have the tools and you know how to get back there. And I think it's just interesting what you said too, because you're right. We are so hard on ourselves about it and just doing that work to be like, okay, well, here I am. I know how to get out of it. I know the tools. I know how good it feels on the other side. So I'm not, I'm, I may go a little crazy sometimes, but I'm just not going to stay as long. Right. Yes, yes exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 We're all just I love figuring it. this out. We're all just yeah. figuring this out. And there are some things that I know have really worked. Uh, like cutting out alcohol completely for me was a game changer in that it removes that wishy-washy thinking about, am I going to have a drink? Am I having one drink? Am I having two drinks? Who's driving tonight? Like all of that inner dialogue just went away. And that felt really nice with an already anxious mind. And then I was also figuring out my medication and that doesn't mix with alcohol. And I needed to know whether it was working or not working. And it takes time for medications to start working like months to in order for your body to really acclimatize to it. So I just didn't want to mess with any of that part of the process. And then also in not drinking, it really allowed me to commit to my meditation practice that 30 minutes a day. Um, because I could do it in the evenings. Like I wasn't, meditating with wine in my body, or I could get up in the morning and do it before the kids woke up because I wasn't 
hungover at all, or you know, I was just getting more rest and better sleep. So it really allowed everything to fall into alignment for me. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you said, you know, thinking about getting rid of those things that you know, don't serve you in your healing, because I was the same way with my I was starting my medication. And I just knew that I needed the clearest mind I could possibly have to get through this. And thinking about where I was then and where I am now, and the same for you, when those triggers come up, how are you handling them as today, Erin? Mm. Well, what's so interesting is at this point, I do not relate with at all having an eating disorder. Like my relationship with food is so different. I don't have any foods that I won't eat other than I don't need a lot of red meat um, because I don't love the texture and like Mm -hmm. vibe gives me a feeling. Um, (laughs) But I'll eat anything. I don't count. I'm not, I don't feel guilty after I eat. I will sometimes be like, oh, I over eight and I feel like fatigued and tired, but I, I just almost look at it like a science project. Like, okay, well maybe we didn't need that whole thing of pasta with the bread, with the dessert afterwards, but I I don't, I just don't get stuck on it. It's like the next morning I wake up, I have breakfast and I carry on. So I don't get triggered in that way anymore where I get like the last anxiety spiral that I had was really triggered by finances. I, because I had so much anxiety around money, um, I was avoiding looking at my money and looking at my receipts and touching any of that. I felt like I was stupid in that area and, and I didn't really get it. And so I just ignored it. And I ended up $60,000 in debt. I ended up with like business taxes that hadn't been paid for a couple of years because I thought it was getting handled under our family taxes and it wasn't. And I just wasn't asking the questions and it triggered a ma- like a massive anxiety break. Yeah. Into- you, oh, I hear you on everything you're saying. I'm like, yep, 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 yeah. yep. Yeah. Like the OCD thinking came into place. It was I, back to that space of anxiety where you cannot get out of bed. And I could not think clearly about this. Like, okay, well, you'll figure this out. This is a shitty place to be in, but how do we dig ourselves out? Like my body had gone into full trauma response and in that space, you're not able to think logically. So I ended up having suicidal thoughts and ended up being back in the hospital. Um, And it wasn't, I wasn't back in the hospital because I was like, I'm going to kill myself, but because I recognized these thoughts that I'm having are scaring me and now they're intrusive and they're coming back more frequently and they're sending my system into a nervous response. And I can't be left alone right now. I can't get out of bed in the morning to look after the kids. And we could not find a psychiatrist. I couldn't even find a family doctor who was steady. So everyone I was going to was giving me different advice on my medication. So we ended up going to the hospital and going into emergency, which is something people can think about doing if you're ever in a space like this and uh, was admitted so that I could see a psychiatrist and, and get a true diagnosis that I have generalized anxiety disorder and I have anxiety. And he was able to help me figure out the medication piece um, with real clarity with the check-ins afterwards and uh, with these other pieces in place. So the medicine seeing a therapist, cutting out alcohol, daily meditation. I did my meditation teacher training during that time. Uh, I was able to move out of that that space and out of that hole. You know, a couple things come to mind as you're saying this, like number one, advocating for your own health when you 
you can't find the help that you need, which is beyond frustrating, right? Like it seems just like a a natural human thing that we should have access to. And the other thing is, you know, the healing journey is an is a to me is a never ending journey. And for you to be so open and honest about something like that, which is so empowering to people listening, because we look at you and we're like, oh my gosh, businesswoman, superstar mom, like she's just doing all these incredible things, but you still at the end of the day have your struggles, you're human. And talking about having the tools to be able to stand up and say, hey, I need help. This isn't okay. I know what's going on right now. It's that's powerful in itself. And I've got to give a lot of credit to my support network, to my husband who Mm -hmm. was willing to listen and who felt safe enough for me to say, this is what's going on in my head to my therapist who got on, uh, you know, two phone calls with me where it wasn't like it was a scheduled time, but I was alone and having these intrusive thoughts. And he was like, this is, it's time to go into the hospital now. Like it's time to, to onboard more help here. This is not, this isn't you. This is a chemical reaction that's happening in your brain right now. So I think that having that support network and having those people around you, whether it's your best friend, an aunt, your partner, uh, it it doesn't have to be a lot of people. A therapist, somebody that you pay, it's really valuable because they're able to let you know when when you're not showing up as yourself and Mm -hmm. um, can help move you along in that direction when maybe you're not even able to get the help yourself. Oh, for sure. I love that. And I talk a lot in this podcast about um, trauma and anxiety and the importance of connection and coming out of it without connection. There's no healing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. And I love that. So I also want to talk to you a little bit about something else that you have going on. A couple things, actually. You have a retreat coming up in Greece, which I am so jealous. It is. I've been watching since you like announced it. And I was like, oh, those those days don't work for me. But like, I think this is such a beautiful thing. And in a in a previous episode, I had talked about a, a really transformative trip I took to Paris, which was really outside of my comfort zone with a group of women. Um, and it was really pivotal in my healing journey. It was so incredibly empowering as a woman, as a mom, to really take the time to say, I'm doing this for me this is what I need. And I felt in my soul, it was what I needed to do. And I really love that you're doing this. So please tell us about it. I am so flipping excited about this retreat. We're going to the island of Crete, which is in Greece. We're staying at this stunning hotel. And you know, there's so many elements of the retreat that are going to be just beautiful. But at the end of the day, this will be a very transformational retreat for anybody who is really ready to step into their best self, to step into their strength, to release the limiting beliefs that they're carrying on. I want to create a safe environment where we're going to have fun and connection and laugh and like look at the stars and swim in the ocean, eat beautiful Greek food and do a cooking class with the local ladies. And we're going to boat cruise and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, this container is a space to let go and release anything that is holding you back in life to step into your most powerful self. The, um, the beliefs that we carry about ourselves are so important. And so we're going to be using movement with Hannah Todd, who's one of the co-founders of Laundre. 
We're going to be using meditation. I'm going to be doing coaching sessions as well throughout the process. Um, and I'm just so, so, so excited about the opportunity to move people out of their day-to-day environments and to shake up the system in a new space, in a new, beautiful environment, uh, and then to send people home just ready to rock and roll. How amazing. And just like, I can't imagine how that's going to fill your cup as well. And honestly, like as someone who's done a trip similar to this, you know, the mom guilt really sets in and you think like, I can't leave my kids or it's so selfish for me to do this on my own. And I can't spend that kind of money on myself. Do it. My only advice is to just do it. You will never regret it. And you will come out of this a completely different person. You will never regret it. And Mm -hmm. as somebody who has had some financial anxiety, I've spent the last two years really working on this relationship that I have with money. There are some things you can't put a price on. Like you cannot put a price on feeling more confident in yourself and what Mm -hmm. that can do in the trajectory of your life, how that will impact every aspect of your life. And so Yeah, I'm really excited. And if it feels like aligned in any way, make sure that you check it out and come join us in Crete. We're going September 29th to October 4th. It is a retreat that's being co-hosted with the the gals at Landre who have the sustainable swimwear line um, as well. You should follow them. They're amazing. Yes. And uh, yeah, we would love to have you join us. Oh, I'm so jealous of this trip, Erin. You guys are going to, it's incredible what you're doing for women. And also like, I want to talk to you about one more thing because I'm not sure if there's anything you can't do, but you also have a nonprofit um, that's called Free To Be. Tell us about this. I love this as a mom of a daughter who dances. Like, oh, I'm so excited about this project. So this we've also been working on for about six years. It was started by a clinical counselor named Renee who has since had four kids and had to step aside. And I was like, I will take the program. This is really important and we need to bring it back to life. So we are just in the process of getting the charity number for that program. It's for students, boys and girls in grades four to eight. And we teach them media literacy. So about the messages that they receive in media and how it impacts them um, in what they see as being possible for themselves, how it impacts the way that they see their bodies and uh, the stereotypes that are played out in media. And then we also talk to them about how to build resiliency and a positive body image. So we've we've run the program with over 2,000 students and we had put it on ice over COVID because obviously nobody was doing extracurricular activities at this yeah. point. But we're rolling it out starting this fall and it will be back into schools in BC and then across North America uh, in the next couple of years. So if there are any teachers out there who are listening to this right now or any parents who have kids in that age group of grade four to eight, please send me a DM. I'm taking contact information. I have a couple of surveys that I'm trying to get out, one for teachers and then one for students as well. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get this program out. And also there are so many things that I can't do. Like for me, grocery shopping and cooking at night <laughs> is so overwhelming. and causes yeah. me so much stress and just endless things. We None of us are doing any anything. And if anybody has that perception that anybody is doing everything, not we're not. No, no, <laughs> we're not. We're not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just not happening. You know what? I love this program, Erin. I 
I'm obsessed with it. Like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful to you for doing this. Like I've watched my own daughter, like those ages specifically. Um, it's so the messaging that they get and the beliefs that they have about themselves. I'm watching it start with my own daughter and I just, it is so freaking important. Like, I just, I love this. You're doing an amazing job. Will you join our free to be mama army that we're creating? Um, yes. I want to be the first to sign up, please. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Honestly. And as I was reading about this the other day, I was thinking like, this needs to be in my daughter's dance studio. This needs yeah. to be a conversation that I bring to them. Like I so fully believe dancers. I mean, you were a dancer, right? Like, you know, the pressure of a dancer and body image of a dancer. It's something I fear as a mom every day. And I just really believe that this is a conversation that needs to be had, not only in schools, but in these studios. Yeah. I mean, dance is, is beautiful and it is so integral yes. in our communities. I, I still dance to this day, not in a studio, but all around our house. On Instagram. And, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Wherever I am, I'm still dancing. Um, but the nature of dance is tied up with a lot of perfectionism and it's image-based. So they're spending a lot of time looking in the mirror and that can just continue to breed these insecurities that we're talking about. So this is a really nuanced conversation as well, because I loved dance and I still love dance, but also the culture in a lot of dance studios is toxic. So having conversations like this one, having free to be in programs that will hopefully be free for everyone to access. That's the goal. Um, I, I agree. It's really important and I need as much help as I can get with this specific project. So if anybody's listening and they'd like to get involved, please send me a message. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in, Erin. I would love to be involved. Thank so, you. you know, that brings me to my next question, actually. Um, you've been through so much. You've accomplished so much. I would love to know, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell young, impressionable Erin? I would tell her that her dreams matter and that she has everything that she needs within in order to bring them to fruition. Oh, to keep I love that. believing in herself, to keep leaning in to keep asking for what it is that she most desires and to trust in the process. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I hope everyone who's listening writes that down because I wish so badly that I not only told myself that when I was younger, but that I believed it. Not just to say it, but to believe it, right? Yeah, because it, it, what I've accomplished, what you've accomplished, what I've accomplished is beyond probably what either of us ever fathomed, right? We're so powerful. We're mm -hmm. so powerful and we're able to manifest, attract, create whatever word you want to use so much more than we could even imagine in our lives. And uh, when we're able to move beyond the self-doubt or at least learn to work with it and not allow it to control us, anything is possible. And totally. I have to remind myself this message every single day, multiple times a day, uh, to hold the vision and to trust the process, hold the vision yeah. and trust the process. It's all happening the way it's supposed to, right? I tell myself that all the time. I love that. Yeah. You know, as you're saying that, like thinking about, I always say every episode, I'm like, I could do a whole episode on what I would tell my younger self. But um, yeah, one thing I would say um, is that self-care is not selfish. And I think that that is really important. And talking about even going to Greece, self-care is not selfish. 
do it. No, it's necessary. It's necessary. And it's such a gift as well for the people around us, whether that's your friends, your kids, your partner. Um, Because when we're happy and when we are thriving, it gives permission to those around us to do the exact same thing. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Erin, where can everyone find you on social media? Primarily on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks with an S at the end. And I would love to see you over there. Awesome. That's the best best place or on the website, rawbeauty.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for everything you're doing for women and in this space. And this was such an amazing conversation. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. You're an incredible, incredible host. And this has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for having me. No problem. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, You are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. 